0: oh hello fancy seeing you here on a monday morning but glad you could join us welcome to monday morning coffee with inside the firm each week we will be interviewing local regional and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their businesses to success in an ever competitive business climate so pour yourself a hot cup and enjoy the show welcome to another special episode of monday morning coffee This week, I am pleased to announce that we have our best friend on the podcast, Nicholas Renard, who is the founder and owner of an award winning architecture firm in Jacksonville, Florida called Renard Architecture. Over his career, he has been recognized with design awards by the American Institute of Architects, Jacksonville Historical Society, and competition juries. He's also taken the leap, just like Alex and I have, at becoming a builder architect. Welcome to the show, Nick.
1: Hello, best friends. It, do it's, it it's, Florida. It's, it's, it's Dig Architecture, not Renard.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Dig Architecture. We've got to <laughs> update your website, bro. I actually pulled yeah. this from your website and I was like, yeah, why does it say Renard? That's why
1: we were having the conversation the other day about Wix and Squarespace oh, and which you all wow. use. Well, I apologize. All the listeners know now that I screwed up, but that's
0: okay. So yeah, dig architecture. That I was totally confused by that. I was like, well does he use it as a like a pseudonym or you know, some people just use uh I don't know, they go by like like my wife, her real name is Psycho, what her last name is and then her she still goes by Marilyn Ackerman
2: for Longmont Real Estate. So my bad. And Ackerman sounds a little bit better than Psycho as a real estate agent. <laughs> yeah,
0: I could not I could not get her to buy into. I told her it was a really good uh icebreaker. Because you introduced yourself and she was like, nope, not no, not for me. No. Not doing it. Um, but let's start from the top. You and I have talked before, obviously, quite a
1: bit, especially yes.
0: at the last day at conference.
1: Um,
0: t- but I've never asked you, what drew you to architecture, especially at the University of Cincinnati?
1: So what drew me to architecture was um, when I was in high school, I had take – I was really into art class and whatnot, and – um taken all the drawing classes I could take. It. And I was like, just, just, let me take it, just let me take that one again. I, you know, I don't want credit for it. I just need something to do. And they said, uh, my guidance counselor said, no, we can't let you do that. But there's this um, engineering graphics class. You can take that. And uh, plus, you're really good at math. Maybe you could focus on becoming an architect someday because they make lots of money. And I was like, sweet. That sounds awesome. I'd like to make lots of money. Yeah. And then uh went to um grew up a Buckeye and uh my dad played there back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of bred in me. And went to Ohio State to kind of tour their architecture school and they spent an hour trying to convince me to be an engineer. And I went to Cincinnati and they're like, "We're well, we're one of the top programs in the nation right now. You could come here, you can't." You don't don't want to. I, we don't really care. Uh, we'll be fine without you. And I was like, well, that's the school I want to go to. So I went to Cincinnati and the first ed class. One of the professors walked in and said, all your guidance counselors, lied to you architects don't make lots of money? And uh life lesson right there.
0: Yeah, they really don't. I mean, there's, well, it all depends. We, we can get into that too, uh, obviously. But um, were you good at math? yeah I was really good at math really do you ever want to go do you have you ever you, you've heard us complain about engineers over and over again and there's some really good ones but then I just think there's um if you had more control over over that portion of it do you do you ever at all want to go like the Santiago Calatrava Trava route and get your structural engineering um degree and then uh, license have you, have you ever thought about that Absolutely not. <laughs>
1: really? I mean, my math—my math topped out at geometry, which I suppose is probably good for most structural engineering.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but when I got into calculus, that was just way beyond my grasp. And um, and uh, yeah, just I don't want to design beams. I have plenty of guys that I'm friends with that do an awesome job at that, and I don't want to take their work. Totally fair. Totally fair. I still haven't <clears> one. I, I think I said last week, like, I was complaining
0: that people were moving too slow and that we should, man, if I had the time, if I could just clone myself. <laughs> I <destruction> would <laughs> engineering for sure.
1: Yeah, but then How you about, just you just move slower.
0: Probably. Exactly. But I have would, to, well, you, the key
1: you, is to clone myself, Nick.
0: Well, that,
3: That's, That'd be awesome,
1: too. It would be awesome, yeah.
0: So it, you, when you were at the – University of Cincinnati is a phenomenal architecture program. Um, we always heard about it at NDSU. And so t- what was your what was your experience like there like did you come right out of school and did you intern during school or did you after after school finally finally
1: get that first job So my uh experience is really good um they uh, when I when I toured there they said uh you know a 26 on your ACT that'll get you in mm-hmm. and then after after I toured they decided they had too many kids coming in and bumped it up to a 27 and I missed my chance to retake my ACT because I had a twenty six. I was like, I'm done. I don't have to take that test again. I'm in. I'm good. So I end up having to go through uh, what they called the pre architecture school. And it's basically we take all the classes, same classes as the architecture students the first year, except studio. And to fill in for studio, they we took art and design because apparently um that's what you were weak on if you didn't get into the architecture program, you didn't know the basics of design and art. (laughs) And that wasn't at all the case. I was just lazy and just took my ACT once. And I ended up getting in at the end of the year, did all three studios over the summer, and then I was off and rolling. And then our sophomore year, we started co-oping. So every other – we were on the quarter system, which they've changed from that now. But every other quarter, we'd go out and work at a firm. And for the six years I was there, I worked for three firms, uh, and seven quarters over that time. How much were you working? Like enough to where it, did it ever hurt your studies or anything? Oh no, you, we, we, you'd work, you wouldn't go to school while you worked. Okay. So I worked in a small town outside of Cincinnati for my first co-op. And then I went down to Hilton Head, South Carolina and worked for a um pretty high-end residential firm, and then I went up to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, did a little time at MBBJ.
0: Oh, nice! They're 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 a large firm, right? I think they even have. They oh yeah, they
1: were they were very large. Mm-hmm. Got my uh, got my taste and fill of corporate architecture.
0: Yeah, that was ex- exactly what I was going to ask next. Is what did you think of the different difference between the three, and did it help you make up your mind about? the direction you sort of wanted to head in
1: after you graduated? It it did. I knew I wanted to live in a small firm. Um, The, I just, the corporate thing, I mean, it was cool. You walk in and they have a big, impressive office in Columbus and models of all these projects all over the world. I worked on projects in Taiwan and Beijing and around the U S and it was cool, but I got sick of, kind of being pigeonholed into doing one task over and over and over again
3: mm-hmm.
1: on a big team of, like, 20 people.
3: Mm-hmm. And it was
1: also just, it wore on me seeing grown men just scream at each other daily just because the design architect didn't, didn't agree with the construction architect, who didn't agree with the interior architect, who didn't agree with this architect. And it's like, and it's really got me to the point where I don't, we don't, it, it influenced me now that, at Dig, we don't really have titles. You're an architect. You're an
2: intern. That's it for us.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's. I think it's the same way here. I mean, <laughs> in a way, I feel like we have to give them out. I feel like we're more more pushed to give give titles than it's not even necessary, in my opinion. I would agree. I think it's like, but I would. I don't. We don't do interns versus architects. We just say, I don't know, maybe entry level or something like that. Yeah. Um Man, I'm 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 with you there. What about uh? Did you get licensed under one of these firms,
1: or did you? No, I I didn't get licensed until after I graduated. Mm -hmm. When I was, I went back to Columbus because that's where my wife was, or my girlfriend, who became my fiance, who became my wife in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I worked for a small to mid sized firm there for a while, and that's where I started uh, the path to licensure. And I actually started in ohio and then we made the move to florida when i had two or three tests left so i finished it down here nice
0: what did you how did you switch from how did you get into you're going to be an owner because you had a former firm right you had a partner yes how did that transition happen
1: so i had interviewed with him when i came down my wife came down and got a job before i did and she said are we serious about this move and i said why not So we put the house for sale and I came down, interviewed with a bunch of firms here and ended up, I met my former partner at one of my interviews and then went and took a job at another firm. And that was like 2007. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I had gotten pretty good at doing hotels and that's what they hired me to do. And then all that work just started drying up. And uh, before I knew it, I was just knee deep in military work. And I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. So my former partner and I had started talking about doing something. And in uh, June of 2008, we started our our little venture. You know, just perfect timing. Everything was booming. There was business to be had everywhere. And uh, I mean, I'm you're not smiling. I'm I'm kind of kidding here. <laughs> uh, we kind of had a few projects, and they all dried up. Fast, and then we just learned how to survive, and did what we could to stay alive
2: from 2008 to 2009 to 2010 until we finally saw some form of recovery.
0: So you guys and okay, we so were we found out. From what?
1: Well, we found out we were better partners when
2: times were bad than when times were good.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Why is that, why, why, what do you think that, unpeel that? Was?
1: I don't know. It's just, you know, as things, as we got busier, you know, I think when we were a lot closer, when we were just doing what we could to, you know, stay alive mm-hmm. and it was just fight and fight and fight and every day. And then as things got busier, you know, the difference in our personalities, the difference in our expectations for projects, the difference in the projects we wanted to take on, really started to show themselves and that kind of started to drive the wedge. And then there were some other things that kind of really hammered that wedge right on through. Mm-hmm. But um, we stopped doing work together in 2015 and by 2017 I had bought them out of the company.
0: Oh, no kidding. And then that's when the name change happened, correct?
1: Uh, the name change happened in 15 because – Neither one of us were practicing together, so yeah. um, The company that I bought is kind of an idle company right now. It just kind of holds our uh, basically. When I bought them out, I I bought our condo. Okay, that makes sense.
0: What What is the biggest lesson you learned uh, learned from trying to find you know working with a partner like that? Because a lot of times I feel like these the partnerships come about sort of like people are friends in college. They go away, they come back, they start together. Or it's two people that were working in a firm and they got along really well and then they branched out and started their own firm. But yours kind of came in a different way. What, for anybody else that's listening and is considering partnering up with somebody,
1: what, what is a lesson you've, you learned from that first partnership that you would – I would uh, say the, the partnerships that start off in college or mm-hmm. have some more commonality that is well-known and established – um, that's a good idea when you kind of jump into something, just knowing somebody, but thinking that would be good. Like I did. I don't know that that's the best idea in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems that the partnerships that I see that really are doing strong are like you and L. I I think uh, maybe I'm just assuming you guys are strong. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's some fighting in the back room that we don't know about.
2: Um, but The partnerships that um, seem to last, A, usually aren't two
1: people. It's usually three or plus because two people, it's hard when you have a disagreement and you both own half the company. Like, where does it go?
2: And either somebody's got to give or it just never gets resolved. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point
0: about the third leg. Maybe maybe that's maybe the, a better triangle, right? I was trying to build these these strong triangles. You can't have a – triangles is the strongest shape. Um, yes. I kind of like that analogy. Um, I don't think they, a about, straight
1: line is – a line is not a very good – Not
0: at
3: all.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, A good we thing. Do
0: fight. We do fight. You should know that. Yeah, everybody should know that. We uh, There's arguments, pretty heated ones. But it doesn't happen too often. I actually think it's a good pressure release, um, and then we always end up making up and saying we love each other and it's all good to go. What, what what moving on like when you when you started when you started to dig? What's one of the biggest lessons you've learned so far just on your own? Ooh. I know, tough question.
2: That's a tough one. I mean, the biggest
1: one, so when I started so when I went from having a partner to no one, I was I didn't hire anybody. I just kind of lived as a hermit in my studio or out in sight for Two, three years. And I really look, and now I have staff. And I, I, I God, I, I wish I would have made that leap and, and found that person that I could hire sooner mm-hmm. instead of just trying to do everything myself. Cause that, that was a really big burn on me. Just, you know, working constantly and doing everything I could to get to rebrand the company to, um, keep my name strong, to get all the work that was coming in done. We were building in 15, so not only was I, I was basically running two companies by myself and full-time job type companies. So it's not like I was a contractor for 20 hours a week and and an architect for 20. I was a contractor for 40 hours a week and then an architect for 40 hours a week. Mm. And there was not much room for crossover. So it was challenging, and I should have. I think we'd be a little bit stronger in the design build side right now if I would have taken a jump and hired some people. But I was stubborn. I was burnt. I didn't. I just at that time I was still kind of feeling the effects of of a partnership that went bad, and just wanted to do things the way I wanted them done, and didn't want anybody else around me. Yeah. Well, hindsight's 2020,
0: 20, right? So, yes sir. Yeah, and and now that you are running two companies. I mean, still, right? You're on your are you on your third build, Nick? Um,
1: so not technically we're not technically the contractor, of the project we're working on right now, we were hired back as basically project manager/supervision to finish one of help uh one of the contractors we work a lot with uh finish the project we had designed. Uh they had a lot of projects coming out at once and I said, yeah, I'll come help you, you know, because I had finished my last construction project and didn't have anything in the wings, so mine's all stay out on site. And this project that we're on right now is a pretty taxing project, so it was more than her project managers and superintendents could handle because there was daily design decisions that need to be made, and so it just kind of made sense for me to go out there and be able to work with the tradesmen and craftsmen and make those decisions on the fly as needed.
0: Yeah. How do you, how do you maintain your balance and work and professional life now then? I'm um, personal. I mean, that's really what this question should have been. How do you, how do you maintain, you have two kids, you have a family, you're, you're, yeah. you're a good guy. How, how do you maintain that when you're running
1: these two arms basically? So the, well, I mean, we're a family firm at my studio. My kids mm-hmm. come to my, studio every day after school, so they're, they're adding their element of chaos with me pretty much every day of the week as it is, and then when we get home, the
2: phone goes away until they go to bed, and then once they go to bed, it's it's game time again,
1: yeah. and work in, working late in the night, getting up the next day. I don't work weekends. That's mm. usually family time. Uh, it's rare that I'll go work, I'll go to a job site on a weekend or go, I mean, when I say don't work weekends, I, I don't work weekends when my kids are awake. (laughs) So I'll work Saturday and Sunday night, but the seven till eight that they're awake each day,
2: uh, it's pretty much focused on them and family or trying to get stuff done around the house or just tasks. Yeah. How do, they, how, does, uh, how do your kids respond to being firm
0: kids? My kids are the same way. They come to the job site. They complain about going to the job site. They come to the firm. They don't complain about the firm because we're not at a job site, and they can play with big <laughs> color and stuff. How do your How do your kids handle that?
1: My kids love going to the studio. They have an old – ha- when I redesigned and remodeled my studio, I had a room kind of in the back that you know I thought if we grow, maybe someday that will be my office if I decide to – because we're – pretty open right now you come in and sit where you need to sit to do your task and that doesn't nobody has a desk or a spot you know people end up going to the same spot over and over again but if somebody if i walk in and somebody's working on the big computer i just go to find a different chair and sit there and do my work but when i redesigned it and made this office space well it's in the meantime It'll be where my kids hang out. So they have bean bags and a toy bin and uh, a snack cabinet and plugins for their iPads. So they just go in there and chill usually. That's
3: awesome. Yeah. Except
1: when we have a meeting, then they decide they want to play tag and around a run about the studio. Yeah. um cool. as far as going to the job site, they generally are excited because we have uh buckets in the car and they know they get Five dollars a bucket every time they fill it up with trash,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they'll go pick up buckets of stuff
0: oh, there you for go. me. I'm I'm using that tactic from now on. Beautiful idea, and they're happy,
1: and then I don't have to pay somebody else to go pick it up.
0: Yeah, that's a great that's a great incentive. I'll have to do that. I thought you were going to say they're sand pail buckets because you <laughs>
1: no, we did that the first time. The first mm-hmm. time I did that, there were smaller buckets and. They both took me for sixty bucks each. Oh my God. And we're so A we have rules about the buckets now. You can't fill them up with like three pieces of concrete and call it a day.
2: And be their Home Depot buckets.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. They were, they're a little um I mean they're a little capitalists. Look at that. Yes.
1: Yeah. That was my son. He's he's like, finally I gotta fill this bucket up. I see three big chunks of concrete, I'm done go dump this for me dad
0: that's awesome that's great um what are what are if you had to give 3 of your top books that any any entrepreneur should
1: read what would those books be nick three of my top hold on a second
0: yeah you got to think you's got to pull some off the shelf now right
1: i got i got to pull up my audible cuz oh, even okay. if i even if i read a book i'll generally down if i can download it on audible i will Mm-hmm. and listen to it then too especially if the author reads it that's awesome I think it's the best
0: yeah I, um, I honestly can't people will send me books I'm literally looking on right now and I feel bad for it Mike Acker sent me one we had him on as the episode zero of my uh-huh. copy and I just I just cannot sit still um, the only time I've ever been able to read books lately in my post-graduation life is on a plane because I have no choice so,
1: so Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, I mean, there's just so much, I mean, you know, you get 20 magazines a week and you kind of want to stay current on different, um, different trends in the industry. So you got to flip through those and then sitting down with a book by the time I get to sit down, like when I'm on vacation, I'll read, but during the week, that's just not going to happen. Right. So. Golly, the top three. So I'll give you three um, fiction and one nonfiction.
0: Nice. Everybody. Or vice versa. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I really liked, I mean, I, the E-Myth, but everybody reads the E-Myth. So that we'll, we'll throw that out. And How to Win Friends and Influence People, we'll throw that out because everybody should read that one too.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: ones that you may not have read that I thought were good was, um let's see. Can I curse on this? Because there's a curse word in one of the titles. Okay. So The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck is an awesome book. Who's that by? Uh, Who's that by? Mark Manson.
0: Okay. That was a good one. All right.
1: That I thought was awesome. And it's it kind of people say I took it to heart a lot because I used to be kind of a hothead. And uh, I would yell at people at the snap of a finger. And. I stopped doing that because it wasn't getting me anywhere. And I found that if I hold that, I still have that in my back pocket.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And if I hold it and when I do it, it means a lot. It Stuff gets done if yeah. I yell. Yeah. So the other one is Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko.
2: I love that book. Mm-hmm. And then, um, now I like the 10 times rule. That was a good one. The, the 10x rule. Yeah, the 10x rule. Yep. And then, um, man, you've given us like five so far. We are
0: spoiled.
1: Yeah, I know.
2: I know. I got so many. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it seems I I
1: listen to a lot. One that was kind of off the wall was Way of the Wolf, um, by Jordan Belfort. That was no, kind that, of a different is way. Is that the? Fiction? That was that. Well, no, that was a real story. But that was the one where I can't remember the movie that. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio was, played this guy. But it was actually him after he went to prison writing this book about how they built this company. It's pretty interesting. And then one of my favorite books um, that's not based on truth is The Fountainhead. Yeah, that's a good one. It's long, but it's a good book.
0: It is a good book, yeah. It's a really interesting one. What a good – I mean – I don't know. I feel like every architect read that in high in uh, college, um, but I just don't know once it, if it ever it panned out to politics in their lives when they and they came out of it because you can see, you know, the biggest thing is like our projects always get gummed up. I think that's like the my most favorite thing that Alex has been saying lately is like the the problem with the red tape when we go through the building departments and applying departments is is it gums up our process. So like for us, we honestly don't want to do another development. Because it's so it's three it takes too way too long to get through it, um and the risk is just too much with too much money involved with that. so I wish more people would take that that,
1: that the fountainhead to heart and yeah that. I get that I mean it seems like to me you guys jumped a jump you, you skipped a step in the process that I would have taken to development. I think I would have built with somebody else's money mm-hmm. before I built with my own, yep.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a critical point. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Now, now that I admire here, you guys for it, that was awesome. That she I mean, <laughs> that she took just, that leap.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just thankful that uh, next Wednesday it will be March. What am I looking at? Fourth, 2020. We will close in the last unit.
1: Outstanding. Congratulations.
0: Thank you, and we'll be done.
1: I mean, just for those listening stuff. at home, Lance just put his arms way up in the air like a
0: touchdown. Way up in the air.
1: Yeah, those are just really, right? Yeah. No, I agree. I I think
0: that's a fundamental thing for sure. I think you, the way you're doing it incrementally is the way way to do it. Um, So knowing that, like what, but you want to continue being a
1: builder architect, right? Yeah, we've, um, this last project that we did by ourselves kind of changed the way that we do things because I I don't know if this this happens in Colorado as much as it does in, Northeast Florida, but every one of our residential clients has a friend, an aunt, um, mm-hmm. mom's sister or mom's sister's friend that's an interior designer,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which really equates to they watch HGTV
3: mm-hmm. and
1: they're going to do the interior design for this house. That's a one $1 million plus house and it doesn't work, and it, which ends up... And I get frustrated and it ends up happening that we're, and we see ourselves doing a lot of what an interior designer should be doing. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And it's not, it's not right that, I mean, we're so invested into the project that like we, we want it to turn out well and we just see this big gap and we fill it, but we don't charge for it. And Mm -hmm. so we stop doing that completely. So now we have, when clients come in to interview with us, I have like a sheet of 9 categories that we will do or 8 categories. And um we're fine just playing the role of architect. We're fine being the interior architect, the architect uh helping with procurement, building it, budgeting and all that stuff. But if you don't want to do it, you cross it off that list and we have that go to, to go back for if something changes or if you're like wondering why something's not getting done the way you think it is, well, it's because you crossed off the interior component and you said you're going to do that yourself or you crossed off the hardscape component and you said you're going to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just not doing it. And we just we're leaving that out on Front Street. And actually, it led to our highest commission project right now because we had a client come in and he said, yeah, I want you to do it all. I don't want to have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So now we're doing the architecture, the interiors, the hardscape, procurement, uh, staging,
2: and we're part of the build team, part of the budgeting team, and I think I hope it, it works out well. I hope it does too.
0: Yeah, the current build that we're doing right now, we are the we are everything but tile. We're the interior designers. Uh, everything but tile and cabinets. But that's other than that, I actually have went through, literally went down to the trim, down to the doors, down to the hardware, and I kind of don't mind it. I know I've complained, Alex and I've complained about that before, but I'm like, when you're in the builder seat, it's much different because the equation is different, right? Is because I want to know. I want my build team to know exactly what we're putting in, where we're putting where we're putting stuff in. So it kind of is empowering, and we've just basically been on an hourly basis as architects at the same time having the build contract.
1: Um, yeah, and I think if if you are in the builder's seat, and when you put the builder hat on, and you're having to pick out that stuff, it's too late. You're losing money and time. Yeah. So it really needs to be picked out before you get got a permit.
2: Yeah, or I would agree. Selected
1: yeah. is the right term, not picked out. God, I sound a little country on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I sound <a> little country.
0: <laughs> well, Alex is actually going to, he, he and uh, Jason have a their own little build. It's I mean, it's a little modest, I think 1,800 square foot house. So I think I'm going to pass that information on to him that they should be, if essentially they, if they, if they are going to be the builders and they haven't submitted for permit yet, or at least when it's in for permit. Having having the client start selecting that stuff is not a bad idea um, at all. What, what's your ultimate goal as a builder architect? Is it is it to get those kind of commissions that you just described? Where you're yeah, it's, it's I
1: mean we 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 want it from the point where when we hear the the story of what they want their home to be mm-hmm. to the point where we open the door and say welcome home, and we're doing everything in between. And it's not cool. to sound greedy, but I just think based okay. on history. Mm-hmm. Our projects that have us—we haven't fully done that role, but have us and had that pseudo role—are
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, some of our most successful homes. Just because—and I'll use this for example—we have a project right now. It's a, its its not an easy remodel. It's a complex remodel. But there's—we're the architect. There's a landscape architect. There's a interior designer. There's the client's not local, so he's got two local reps. There's a contractor, a superintendent, a project manager, all with the contractor. The interior designer has three staff on it. The amount of emails that come through my box daily on that project is just overwhelming. And you have, the the grade was off, so we had to raise the garage up a little higher and so, well, why do you guys call me call the call the landscaper? It's their job to figure out the topo to make sure this works, and we're not draining under the neighbor and then they send us <laughs> we get a sketch from the interior designer with windows re- you know moving windows around i said that doesn't work they they're not looking at the elevation to see that these windows are actually above the roof line, and the way they're built up
2: it what they're doing does not work so you know, it's just hard for everybody, for
1: so many team members, to fully grasp the project. Oh. And I'm not saying a builder can't go through and do it all. I just think it, it's better when you have one lead throughout the whole project that yeah. gets it and controls it.
0: It's just too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Yes. You just come down to that. Way time. too many. How early in the process do you try to – think about this in the the future then because we're struggling with this too and i i mention it to people that if there is so you know our rule is okay you got to be within a 30 minute radius as a family and i'm not killing myself for your building to, to 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 be your builder as well um how early in the process once you have somebody locked in as an architect are you trying to be their builder as well like do you ever want to feel out feel them out as an architect first
1: to see if you you so, really
0: want to work with them further?
1: Yeah, we generally have like an hour consult with clients mm-hmm. before we'll throw any you know get into it too much with our full service spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's going well and we either know the client um, or just feel comfortable with them because we're connecting, we'll bring some of that early on that first meeting. But usually that won't come out to the second meeting. Okay, but and we've kind of done, yeah. It, we want it early because
2: it just changes our approach.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think I need to take that leap. You have um, bigger cojones than me in regards to that, so I, <laughs> I applaud you for that one. Well, I mean, it,
1: you you guys and us are at an advantage. It's great if we build, but we don't have to.
3: Hmm.
1: Um, b- both our businesses are based in, in architecture, which is nice. It's nice to have that fallback, and it's nice when at least we're building that we don't have, you know, we haven't built with someone that's paid cash yet. All our projects have been bank loans,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and while I've, during construction, you take the draws, and you allocate certain monies to certain places, but the monies we've allocated to the company we've kept in the bank and not distributed to anybody and not, they're not used as payroll. They're not really used as anything, but overflow in case the bank doesn't show up on time to do an inspection or they don't give you as much money as you think they're going to. And you have your yeah.
2: subs with
1: their hands out. Are they looking to get paid? Yeah. We always want to pay our subs before we pay ourselves because mm-hmm. I mean, they're the lifeblood of what we do, and
2: get efficiently getting them. to sh- – I mean, it's a lot easier to get a sh- sub to show up that you probably than one that pays. I, I gotta wonder if that's an if if, if that's an oh. advantage that an, that a builder as architect would have. What you're just describing,
0: because we're doing the same thing. I think it you? is. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I think I, I think know, it is. I don't is. Know if ever talked about it before that I've heard who does this route.
2: I think it's an incredible advantage, because, I mean, yeah,
1: we're design-build companies, but the bulk of our work is mm-hmm. architecture, so we haven't made the leap to 100% design-build. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in four years, we've built two homes. It had me. I'd be out of business if that was my if I was relying on those two projects to put food on the table.
0: What is your what, do you have a goal in mind? Or if, what is your ideal year? Would you do one, two? Does it, I mean, there is no number
1: is it all depends on the client coming through. God, it really, I mean, our the, the scale of our projects varies so greatly from thirty five hundred square square feet inland to. I think our biggest is like a twelve thousand square foot estate on the ocean. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, obviously, as we would get an estate project like that, that's that's a four year project. Totally.
1: And that's a big commitment. That's you know at that at that end, you're the, the clients are expecting on site supervision daily, full time. And so I just got to we just got to kind of gauge what's coming in and our role to really see if it's one or two projects. I mean, it ideally it is one. I think at the max it's two to three. Mm-hmm. But, but at two to three, our staff is a lot more than it is today. Totally. Yeah, that's a lot of work. It's so much work
0: building. It's really yeah. rewarding for sure, but, man, is it, is it a lot of work. Um, that's well, great. Hey, we're near, yeah, we're nearing about, it uh, looks like 30 minutes here.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Time Um, flies. Time flies.
0: It does. So why don't you wrap us up with that? I like to ask everybody this question. Uh, Knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started your business, this latest one, dig, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I think I touched on it earlier. I would probably have jumped on to hiring somebody quicker so Mm -hmm. we could – so i could spend more time getting new business getting getting that second build because there was a two year gap between builds for us mm-hmm. and it just i got i i committed to that client that i was only going to build their house and take on nothing else till i was done and and like oh, i i had all these leads on builds until i finished that house and i had nothing but then the economy started booming and business started picking up on the architecture side And I had my share of work as just the archetype and to the point where it's like, am I ever really going to build again? Mm -hmm. And then another, another opportunity fell in my lap.
2: And now, now we have the ability to be a little more proactive and trying to get more because I have people that support,
1: support me at the studio.
0: Yeah. What would you tell somebody else who's apprehensive about hiring their first person? Because I, I see this all the time in Mark's group in the Entree architect community. There's so you've heard the statistic too. There's 50% of uh, architects are yep. sole proprietors, and then everybody's really, really afraid. We were too about hiring somebody. And then after you do it once, it's just like you you actually want to do it as many much as you can because you make more money, and then you know you're empowering more people. Um, what would you tell somebody who's on the fence for sole proprietor and
1: they they know they need I to need- hire somebody? They know they need I mean the the problem is right now there's not a lot of people to hire, yes, Because um, I would hire another qualified person, right I mean, we had a one that was going to come to us from Savannah, but they decided to stay there,
2: mhm, and I would have hired him in a heartbeat um, didn't a hundred percent know if I'd have the backlog to keep him
1: keep him on board, but he was such a strong candidate that he was like he's one
2: of those people that I get every few years that. I got to find a way to hire this person. Yeah, And um, you just, you got to take a leap. It's it's a hard take, especially the longer you've
1: been solo. I can, I think it's harder to to bring somebody
2: in. Just uh, the sooner you can do it, the better. Yeah. And then just sit back and watch the money roll in.
0: <laughs> back, to, <laughs> back to the original point about making all that money as an architect, right um yeah, but like you said I think one i think the that's that's the I, way
1: you do it you have a bunch of you you have a bunch of people working for you.
0: It doesn't hurt um I can tell you our bottom line was 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 very it was look it was it was the most money we've ever made in in one year and we we, we actually should probably we submit to this award thing we should win it, but it does help. Uh, it does help a lot. I think one of the other rewarding things is too is watching your people grow, 100%, and seeing them get more confident. And then now we have people in place that have been here long enough that they're training people. So seeing that whole cascade of events happen has been has been pretty pretty awesome. So.
1: Um, and they're Nick, and they're not just trained, but they're trained in F9's way of doing it.
0: Yeah, which is maybe the right way. I don't know. RabbitRocketChip.com. So it works yeah. for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: revit rocket ship right a
0: Rabbit rocket ship make it happen you that, that that you know what
1: that, <laughs> that'd be my piece of advice to people
0: is like if you when you hire somebody have a plan like i know that sounds and like in hindsight it sounds uh it just sounds so simple like why would you even overlook that but man you gotta have a plan right
1: what you, What do, when
2: you oh, yes. people,
0: do you train them right away
1: so we, we, we actually do use our rocket ship to train them. Okay. Um, the, uh, since our, our studio is open, most of the studio watches it together. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a lot of similarity between how you guys uh, develop your models and how we do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But in the points where we know we're so much more proficient and dominant over F9. Of course. Uh, we tell them not to do it that way. Yeah. Do it this way. Cause it makes more sense. <laughs> and, uh, we, I mean, it, it's, it's pseudo unfair because we've already stolen all the stuff that we like that you guys do. Uh-huh. And it's just, all, and it's in our daily practice. Uh-huh. So there's a few things that we do differently than you guys do. Good. But it, it's, it's pretty close. It's, it's a close enough parallel that we can use it and pretty quickly get all our people up and going and building models like we do.
0: Yeah, I was trying to convince these. Uh, there's two two gals that we work with. They're they're so awesome, uh, Missy Brown and Kelsey Nichols, and they're two separate entities. And uh, I've just been. I'm like, will you just take a weekend and learn Rabbit rocket ship? I'll give you it for free. And they just, they just, they're like, well, I just can't find the time. And I'm like, man, if we did that with all of our employees, where we're like, we can't find the time to train them, it'd be a train wreck. Um, so. first
1: two days. That's that's what you do. Your first two to three days at my studio. Good, good man, Nick.
0: Well, sir, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Talk with you. Again. Always. Are you going to be in L- What's that? Always. Yeah. Are you going to be in L.A. for the A.A.
3: I
1: don't think I'll be going to L.A. this year. The timing is really bad for our schedule. hmm Uh, our kids are getting done with school right around then. And it's just. Uh, if it was in June, I probably would, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think June in LA is all that great either. Well, then we
0: got to catch up at the international builder show, right? That's in your,
1: definitely. We'll be there. We'll be there in the next two years cause it's back in Orlando. Cool. So it's just a hop, skip and a jump down the road for all of us. Um, and it's, uh, it's, as Al probably told you, it's, it's pretty impressive.
0: It sounds like it. Yeah. I like the economic uh, stuff that they did where they did the outlook, um, the a little breakdown that Al and Jason did, and that was fantastic. So,
1: yes. it holds through. You know, we all don't get coronavirus. Got Corona, us. it's coming to get us.
0: Coming to get us.
1: It's. So, uh, I mean, it is just going to ravage this country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. <laughs> right before I came to the studio today to record this with you, I walk into my daughter's room and she's she's laying in bed. It's like 1 p.m on a Sunday and she's looking at her phone. She looks all scared and I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you really looking at? And she's watching the news about coronavirus. This is a 10 year old <laughs> sweet little girl. And I'm like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. So,
1: See, I don't, I don't remember such an outcry for any of these other health scares we've had. I mean, this one's just
2: crazy.
0: It is crazy. Yeah. They're really winning it up, aren't they?
2: It's just the flu.
0: It's just, that's what I told her. That's like a clue. Make sure you get your exercise and wash your hands. That's all you can do.
2: Yes. So,
0: any any parting words of wisdom as you wrap this up, Nick?
2: No, I don't have it. It's Sunday,
1: man. Enjoy Enjoy your Sunday.
0: Yeah, exactly. Alrighty, sir. Well, thank you very much for being on. Appreciate your time.
1: Talk to you later, Lance.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, don't forget to leave us a five star review on the iTunes app. Tip your barista. And we'll see you next week for more Monday morning coffee
2: with Inside the Firm.